spacecraft which launched in 1977. It's a long time ago and has just been ever onward <laughs> moving away from us. Um, it's become, in, earlier this year, became the first ever human-made object to leave our cosmic neighborhood, like to get far enough away that, I don't know what that means, cosmic neighborhood, but um, yeah, it entered, uh, it, it, it's, it entered like outer space, basically, out, maybe, I, I don't know, but it, this, is the pic this is a picture of that craft from Earth. And what's so funny about that is it's, it's, just, it's just a white dot on a screen. It's so underwhelming, but the thought that that is a picture of something that's 11.2 billion miles away from us, and that's something that we as humans made, you know, is pretty, pretty remarkable. But just to put things into perspective, 11 point, it's actually 11.5 billion miles away. That's not even out of our solar system. Okay, it will take another 14,000 years at the course that it's on to get outside of our solar system. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's nuts. Um, and outside of our solar system is the Milky Way. We're part of the Milky Way. There's 3,916 other solar systems in the Milky Way, right? Um, if the United States was our Milky Way, the Earth would be smaller than a grain of sand. And it would take, in order to span the Milky Way, you'd have to put a million Earths side by side to get across the Milky Way. And this is just stuff that like, like boggles our mind. It doesn't stick in our brains. It's numbers that just don't we, you won't remember this in an hour because it's like, it, it, what was it? It was really far. That's what I remember. Um, but but just, just because this picture is so underwhelming, that this is Voyager 1, I want to show, so, show some pictures from Voyager 2, which was launched in 1989, and it has James Webb Telescope. Surely you've, you've seen a couple of these photos because they're insane. Um, we've learned so much in the last couple of years. Again, 1989 to, what is it now, 2023? However many years that is, it's taken to, for that, that Voyager, for that telescope to be far enough into space to get these kind of pictures. Go to the next one. Yeah, it looks, someone just said it looks like a painting. It's just insane. And this one, this one is all, you're looking at galaxy after galaxy. You can see the shape of it is those disks. Those are just all galaxies. And the, the, the major point that we've kind of taken and, and, and understood and come to know through these explorations is this. We are tiny. We are really, really, really small. Through, through, uh, this, through those uh, observations into space through the James Webb's telescope, we've been able to learn there's 200 billion galaxies. We're tiny. And yet, and yet, here's the thing. 
We're tiny, and yet you and I as humans and as humanity as a whole have the audacity to, to, to purport that we're still important. Like, what, what's interesting is as we're learning just the grand scope of space, which, you know, humans, in, especially in the last couple thousand years, the last couple hundred years, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Like, we're just kind of getting our arms around the size of space. Even though that, that, that thing, uh, the, the, the limits of space keep pushing out as bigger and bigger, it has not threatened, overall, it has not threatened this general understanding that we're still important. That what you and I do is generally important. That, that it's not meaningless. Now, now, some people have gone that direction. That, that the line of thinking of like finding our place in the universe and if science is all there is, if, if this is all we, you know, like if we're just atoms, there has been so, some people that say maybe, we're not, maybe what we do isn't that meaningful. But overall, the majority of us still purport, still hold up that life is important. What you and I do today, tomorrow, the next day, morality, it's, it's important. What is that? To bring it into faith, we as Christians, honestly, like this, this exploration into space doesn't necessarily threaten us in this idea of like, how dare we say, it's a pretty earth-centric statement to say, like what we do is important in the grand scheme of this giant universe. We, as a Christian, we actually, we look at that and that's almost like a form of worship for us of like, no, this, is, this, this proves our point even more of how big our God is, how creative our God is, and yet he is, you know, we've learned through scripture, through the Bible, that he, even, even though, you know, we know he's massive and the biblical authors, they, they pen about, oh my gosh, I look at the stars and what you've created, such majesty, and yet who am I? You think of me, and they don't even, they didn't even have James Webb. But the Christian thought and the Christian theology upholds, no, what we do is important. But, but here's the question I want us to kind of like chew on is, how do we hold that tension? How do we live with, with a sense of purpose and importance, not necessarily in the, given how big the universe is, but really when we start thinking about how big the universe is, how do we live with a sense of purpose and importance when in reality, when we, when we come to grips with how big it is, it really puts into perspective how much we're actually in control of. How, how do we live with a sense of purpose even though, like, come on guys, let's level set. There isn't much we control. What's going to happen tomorrow? You have, a, you have a schedule. I know you have a schedule. I know you have a calendar that's full of meetings probably. And you have an idea, you could, like I could talk to each and every one of you, we could sit down and be like, I think tomorrow's going to be this, but the reality is, you don't know if that's going to happen. What if there's a power outage? And what if there's another pandemic that shuts everything down? I mean, the reality is, is you have no clue what you're going to have for lunch on Wednesday. You just don't, like, like as, as much as we like to think that we are potent beings in control of our lives and what we do is important, the reality is we have no clue what's coming. 
How do we live in that tension? How do we, and, and with, that, with that in mind, what does it mean to do what's right and to do the right thing even though we don't know what's going to happen? We have dreams, we have ideas, we have things that we're planning for parents. We have ideas and dreams for our kids. But come on, parents, let's, let's be honest. We're not in control of those. What do we do with that tension and what does it mean to live a life you know, like, like, like a purpose and importance in light of the fact that, guys, we're not in control of anything. We're finishing this series on the, the, the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. It's been, it's such, it, guys, ever, it, like I've, I've preached this before as a youth pastor. I used to lean on it a lot because it's just, it's, it's a story about a, a teenager it's a story about a, a, a guy who starts as a teenager and he's making decisions that are formative for his life. It, it's, a, it's a story about a young adult who is stuck, right, and, and, and doesn't give up. But he stays the course, and so there's things for us to learn. And we've been, throughout looking at this, the story of, of Joseph, just to remind you and refresh you, Joseph was uh, the son of Jacob, who is known as Israel, was his other name. It's where we get Israel. We'll talk about that here in a second. The nation of Israel comes from these guys. Joseph was the 11th of 12 brothers. Uh, uh, Edwin preached on it last week. Give it up for Edwin. If you were here last week, give it up for Edwin. He did such a good job. You guys realize he hasn't preached in 15 years. Um, and it was, it was really, really good. Uh, I wasn't here, but I listened to it, and it was fantastic. And the, the feedback from you guys was great. But um, he, he talked about how Joseph's family is a little bit of a mess. Uh, there's uh, 12 brothers born to four different wives. It's a messy situation. Joseph is of the 11th, and he has this dream that all the other brothers, and even, even his mom and dad, would bow down to him someday. And as a 17-year-old, he just thought that was cool and was like, hey, guys, and told everybody about it, which you just don't do, you know? And so he, there's enmity between his brothers. On top of that, his, his dad likes him, plays favorites, which you just never do as a mom or a dad. And his brothers took matters into their own hands and, and kidnapped him one day and sold him into slavery, into Egypt. And he's in Egypt, and all these bad things happen. He gets sold as a slave into a guy named Potiphar's household. Um, and, and he prospers there for Potiphar, not for himself. Um, and then his, Potiphar's wife propositions him. Um, and he says, no, does the right thing gets, gets wrongly treated for, you know, doing the right thing? We've all had that happen. We did the right thing and it backfired on us. Now he's in prison and, and the prison guard sees that he, everything he does turns to gold, so he puts him in charge of everything. And throughout this story, we have this, this, uh, this theme of God, like that the Lord was with Joseph in Potiphar's house, that the Lord was with Joseph in uh, the prison. And we're like, that messes with us. We talked about that the first week. Like, that's not cool. How can God be with Joseph when the bad things are happening to us, which brings, then immediately makes us think of our own life. How, does, how can God be with me even though my, my kid hasn't talked to me in years? Even though there's cancer, even though there's loss, we, we lost loved ones, even though that, that business venture just totally goes away, it just evaporates. What, what, what do we do with that? Is it possible that God is still with us? 
And then last week we talked, the, basically it, we came to the end of the rope the first week for Joseph, and then Edwin picked up the next week and found Joseph actually getting a break. He, he's able to interpret dreams. Dreams are like his thing, it seems. He's able to interpret dreams for Pharaoh, and the dreams come true, and Pharaoh's like, all right, you know, you're on. Like, he elevates him. Like, you're obviously super wise. There's a famine coming. You say there's a famine coming. Why don't you be in charge of it? And he goes from zero to hero like that. And we talked about the first week that Joseph's story is important for all of us because no matter how low we feel, Joseph was probably lower. And no, ever, no matter how big and bad and in power and in control we are, we feel in life, like we're dominating this, we, we just don't. We will never have. The, he, that was the world power at the time, and he's number two. So we'll just never be that high. And, and here's, the, here's what we find Joseph doing, and this is so interesting, because we, we don't get all the, even though this story has tons of details, we don't get all of the details but we, we get this sense that Joseph just somehow, amidst all of this turmoil, all of this opposition, nothing going well for him, he's able to do something. He's able to keep his eyes on, uh, he's able to stay confident in God. And we put this question uh, before you. This has been our guiding question for the whole thing. Is like, and this is just a good question. We wanted to talk about each week because we're kind of hoping that this kind of just gets in your vocabulary, gets into your, your head. And when you're stuck in life, you're like, whoa, wait, 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 but time out. What would somebody who is you, or who is, in this case, is me, do if they were completely confident that God is still with me, even though nothing's going right, even though it feels like everything's going south? What would, what, just hypothetically speaking, what would it look like if somebody who is me, they're in the exact same scenario, they have the exact same job, they have the exact same you know, health, they have the exact same brain, they have the exact same age, you know, portfolio, bank account, everything. What would somebody do if they were me? But the difference is they were 100% confident that God was with me right now. What would I do? It's a good question. And maybe you've thought about it in the last couple of weeks, like, you know, you're struggling with something. You're like, but what would somebody who is confident, I don't see how God could be in this right now, but what if he was? It seems like Joseph lived in this kind of faith. Obviously, he didn't ask this question. But somehow, Joseph, this 17-year-old kid, was able to dig back into his roots, which there were not many. He knew that he was son of Jacob, of Isaac, you got Abraham. He's got this great-grandfather who has this story that God's going to do something special through his family. And not only that, he's had this dream that, that, that in this family, the other family members are going to bow down to him. Like, he's going to have some authority. So he's like, that's all he's got. And he went on that. He stepped out in faith and lived in such a way, like, okay, what would somebody who's in prison do if they were confident that God is still with them. He obviously lived out of that faith because he didn't just give up, right? There's so many things that he could have done to just kind of, eh, you know, whatever, do whatever it takes to get back home. He could stick it, you know, like figure out a way, like I just got done reading Count of Monte Cristo, which is this 800-page book about revenge, the guy gets, he gets the shaft in like chapter two, and the next 50 chapters are this elaborate plan to get back at every single person who's wronged him. And we love it. And it's called a classic. You know what I mean? Like it's, 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 it's we are entertained by it. 
Joseph, what we see Joseph doing is not doing whatever he could to stick it to his brothers. That's what Edwin talked about last week. Is there came this time, he gets in this season of authority. He's, he's on top, he goes from bottom to top. He's on top of the world. He's in control of everything. And Edwin talked about he had to be thinking, there's a famine going on. Egypt has all of the food. It's only a matter of time. I forget how many miles away they were. It's not tons. It's like 100, 200 miles maybe. He's like, he had to think, I wonder if my brothers, if I'll see their face. And sure enough, one day they show up. And what do we find Joseph doing in that moment? We find him doing whatever somebody would do. If they were 100% confident that God was with them, even though the people right before him that he has control over have hurt him more than we could know. Have sold him into slavery. There's so much deep hurt. And you see the the passage that, that Edwin covered last week is some of the best in the Bible in my mind, like chapter, what is that, 40, 40 to 45 of Genesis. There's emotion, like, like Joseph is emotional because this isn't easy. It's not easy to live in that kind of faith. But uh, Edwin talked about last week the importance of, like basically every relationship is built on a bridge of trust. He talked about how to, to build a bridge of trust with somebody who's hurt you before. It's a good topic. And Joseph is able to, through forgiveness, build a bridge of trust back with his brothers, and his brothers have show this repentive heart, and he extends the olive branch. And he doesn't wipe them out. What would you do? Like, think, do it right now. Like, pause for a second. Think of the person who's hurt you a lot in the past. Could have been decades ago. Could be someone from your family, someone, someone who's just, you, that, you, that was supposed to care for you, and they did the opposite. What would you do if you had ultimate authority over them? What would you be tempted to do? What does that say about or trust? It, like, what does that say? It, it, what would, but the, the real question is, what would somebody who is you do if they're completely confident that God was with them in this, that situation? That's where we find Joseph. And it's this beautiful story. Joseph gets reunited with his father. He meets his, his younger brother who, he, who was born while he was uh, in Egypt. He's able to extend the olive branch. Um, and bring, like, like things are really bad because of that famine. He's like, you guys are coming to live here. That's how they got to Egypt. And then uh, fast forward 400 years later, that's the, the whole Moses thing, right? And then getting them out of Egypt because things changed over 400 years. They became slaves. But like in, in the moment, that saved that family. And then um, Joseph's dad dies in chapter 50. And it's so interesting to see because it's like, yeah, you see on paper in the story, like Joseph's extended forgiveness to these brothers. But, you know, like, is it, are things cool? Are they, is it kosher between them? And we find out that, that there's still probably a little bit of angst because Jacob, Israel, dies. And the first thing that the brothers do is come and th- the text says they throw themselves before Joseph. Go back to his dream, you know, that dream he had of everybody bowing down. This is like the fifth time that they've bowed down to him in the text, okay? They bow down to him yet again. It's been years. They've been living in the land. Like they've had good years together. They're, like Joseph's now older, and they're still scared, and they're still afraid. And this is the verse. We, I just want to look at one verse today from that, 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 that capstones this story. 
that, that Joseph, he reassures them. He's like, oh, guys. And it, it, he, he gets weepy again. He's like, guys, you have to understand, you're my family. I forgive you. We're cool. We're good. Even though dad is gone, like, because they were afraid once dad's gone, like, maybe he'll change his mind, or maybe he was just waiting for dad to be gone so that he could do stuff, and then there's, there's inheritance stuff, there's cultural things that are probably maybe behind the motivation to, to you know, like, and in, 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 in that culture, he would have had the authority to just kind of wipe out people, and no one would have said, boo. And they come before him, and they, they, they bow before him, but look up, look at Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. This is the, this is the crux, this is the key verse for this whole entire story. Much more. It goes like this. Put it up. Joseph speaking to his brothers. He said, you intended to harm me. Guys, let's level step. What you did to me decades ago was downright cruel. You, you wanted me to, to you, you wished death upon me. In fact, you wished almost worse than death upon me. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Guys, guys, I know, like, like and, 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 and here's what Joseph didn't know. He didn't know this when he was 17, 18, 19, 20. The 19, it was a 19-year spell between, between uh, being thrown in, into a well and sold into slavery and then the reconciliation with his brothers. 19 years. I think it was 17 years in prison, Potiphar, slavery. He, guess what he didn't know that, that during this? He didn't know that what his brothers intended to harm him, God would someday use for good. He didn't know that. And it's important to point that out. Hindsight's twenty twenty. When we're in the middle, in the midst of a struggle, we don't know this. We only have faith that this is true. We can only believe it to be true. That what others intend for harm, and maybe not even others intend for harm, just the way that the universe is going or the day is going, it's just harmful. We don't know for sure, but we in faith can step out and say, what you intended, what's intended for harm, God can use for good. It's a huge, huge statement. Today's sermon and this story is brought to you by the word sovereignty. It's the word of the day. Isn't that like a Sesame Street thing? Like imagine Sesame Street and, you know, big birds like sovereignty, you know, and then put, put, put sovereignty up on the board. To be sovereign or to, sovereignty is supreme power or authority. That's just like the general definition for it is like so, a sovereign nation or somebody who has sovereignty, has sovereignty. They have supreme power and authority in a company, a, a country, a situation, okay? That's sovereign, to be sovereign. In God's case, maker of the heavens and earth and everything that we're trying to get our arms around to try to understand how big it is. To say that God is sovereign, the creator of the world, it means he's the ultimate source of power, authority, and literally everything that exists. You and me. And we as Christians believe that not only is God all-powerful, but he is good. 
And that's an audacious statement because there's not all good things happening around us, right? And that raises up the question, okay, if God is powerful and he is good, then why is all this crap happening? And from Joseph's story, from other stories in the Bible, from our own stories, because I know your stories, we all know we've had things happen to us that were harmful to us. And throughout weeks, months, even years sometimes, certain things work out for good. And that's what it means that God is sovereign, that he's, he's a good, sovereign God. He's an ultimate source of power, authority, and everything that exists. And you could even tack onto that, that he has a will and a purpose, a plan for this world that involves us. And the question is, if all of that's true, will you and I trust him? You know, the big, the big question in Joseph's story throughout the story is why this is all about God's sovereignty. Is Joseph, will you trust me in the midst of being a slave? Joseph, will you trust me in the midst of being in prison? Or will you go and try to take control and take the things, you know, take all of the, you know, like take control of the situation, manipulate it, make it worse for the people who hurt you, all those different things that he was tempted to do, or will you trust that I can be with you even in dark times? That's the big question in, you know, the middle of Act 1 for Joseph. But it's the same question that's for you and me in Act 1 or Act 2 of our story, wherever you are. Will you tr even though bad things are happening around us, will you trust that God is sovereign and able to do something, not, not only do something good, but do something remarkable? Go back to the Joseph part. Gen go to that Genesis 50. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. And he's looking around and saying, we're safe. The rest of the world is starving, and, and, and we're, not only are we safe, we're saving the world. Like the world's coming to us, and we're able to save so many lives. And, and, and then literally in the next verse, Joseph dies. And it's a happy ending. He's like, hey, I did it. I made it through my trials and tribulations, and I saw God work. And what's crazy is, he had no clue that this, that the idea of that phrase, the saving of many lives, was just the, the very beginning of what God was doing through intended harm to use for good. This is the storybook Bible, the Jesus storybook Bible. I love this thing, guys. There's a couple copies back there. Just grab one. Don't tell anyone. Just steal it from church. What it does is it, it, it's, it, it's, it's this big. It's all, lots of pictures, guys. You know, pictures are good. Um, the, it goes through, especially in the Old Testament, it ties every story back to Jesus. Thus, the Jesus Storybook Bible. So this is Joseph. And he's, he, he gets, this is his, he's met his brothers. He threw the arms around him. Don't be afraid behind what you're doing underneath everything that has happened. So it just paraphrases the story, right? In just like this very tangible way. Joseph said through this, you know, this isn't what he said, but the book is telling the story. Behind what you're doing, underneath everything that is happening, God was doing something good. 
God was making everything right again. And he's thinking between you know, us. Joseph didn't punish them. He rescued them. He brought God's special family to live safely with them in Egypt. And then it transitions to Jesus and says this, one day God would send another prince, a young prince whose heart would break. Like Joseph, he would leave his home and his father. His brothers would hate him and, and want him to die. He would be sold for pieces of silver. He would be punished even though he had done nothing wrong. But God used everything that happened to this young prince, even the bad things, to do something good. Catch this. The forgiveness of the sins of the whole world. This is Joseph's story. I have goosebumps right now. This is Joseph's story. Joseph and his 12 brothers would become the 12 tribes of Israel. The significance of that is just mind-boggling. You can go meet Jews today that can line, put their lineage back to these guys. This isn't, you know, like, this isn't Narnia. This isn't Mordor. This is like Israel. 12 tribes of Israel, like, they, 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 were, they existed. And through that tribes, through those tribes, God would send his Messiah through the tribe of Judah. It, was, it, was, um, late, it would later be prophesied that it would come through the line of Judah. Judah, the guy that, yeah, Jude, like, like, go read about Judah and the stuff that he pulled. And God's like, I can use that. No, no matter how broken you are, I can use you to do so, things that are so mighty, you have no idea. And fast forward through the, the couple thousand years of the Old Testament, Jesus comes on the scene. He's born through the line of Judah. We call him the Lion of Judah. And he dies on the cross and takes, as we Christians believe, we took, he takes the sin, all the muck and crap of the world on him to purify it. Now read this again. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is, hap- what is, what is being done. The saving of of many lives. Whew! Isn't that incredible? This is so cool too. This is, this is a, a, a fast forward to the New Testament. There's this book called Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews, a bunch of to people who are, are of Hebrew descent, talking about Jesus as their priest and their king. They're, as the Messiah. Hey, Jesus, like if you have, you've heard about this guy, if you haven't connected all the dots, here's why we believe that he's the guy. Here's what God has done through his son, through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That's what the whole book's about. Towards the end of the book, the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 starts to say, listen, you know, it's called the Hall of Faith. And he starts listing uh, Enoch and Cain and Abel. It goes, it starts in Genesis and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He even mentions Joseph in our story. And he says, there's all these people of faith. They didn't know what was going on in the midst of their trial and tribulation. They had no clue. And yet they were able to step out in faith and God accomplished things through them. The, the verse goes like this. This is Hebrews eleven thirteen. It's so good. Wait for it. Wait for it. All these people 
were still living by faith when they died. In other words, they died and they didn't have the end of the story. They didn't have the resolution. The denouement had not happened for their story in a lot of cases. Or in, in cases like Joseph, th there was some. Joseph would be like, this is awesome. This is great. And he's like, you have no idea how much more is about to come. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised to them. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Guys, that's the life of faith. That, that, that is the very essence of what faith is. I know faith, that, we, that word is thrown around. This is what faith is is, and this is what faith means, is it's not blind. It's like, God, I look at the universe and I just don't think that this happened on accident. I look at the goodness in the universe and I believe that maybe you're good. And then that may, I open the word and there, there's stuff there that, that's, that rings true. There's a storyline there that makes sense. And then we come to our own lives and we see the, the muck and the mire around. And we choose in faith to believe the promise that God, what's being harmful in our life and maybe even intended for harm, God is big enough, sovereign enough to use it for good in a way that maybe someday we'll get to see. I, I pray for each of you that someday you could see. And, and, and most of the time we get to see it. You know, we're not like the artists that die in obscurity only for their stuff to become famous afterwards. That's not a common story within God's kingdom. A lot of times he's gracious and he gives us you know, little inklings. But the reality is, is right now there's 8 million people in this world. 8 million people. I'm sorry, 8 billion. That's even more. 8 billion people in this world that God cares for as sons and daughters. And I just, just wrap your mind. I mean, this is, this is like the James Webb photo we just looked at. It's, it, this is that mind-boggling. God is big enough and sovereign enough to work out the details of their lives and to work through their, their good decisions and their bad decisions to work out good for them if they step into faith with him. I, I, I can't even manage my three kids' schedule. Like, like, like I, we, we cannot make it to guitar lessons. It's just like I've almost given up. I, I apologize to this guy. I'm like, Brian, I'm a slacker. It, like, we, we miss him all the time. God is so big and so powerful and so loving, he's able to work through threads of all of our lives, and he has a will for our lives for it to go this way, and we step off of it, and he's like, that's okay. I'll send another wave your way to get you back to where I want you to be. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that great? And here's what we get to do because of that. And this is what I wish for you today. We get to go like this. In fact, everybody just do that. Breathe, I've heard breathing is important. Just take a deep breath and do an audible sigh. Because here's the deal. If you and I get this right, if we pull a Joseph and we have this kind of faith, and we step out in faith, here's what gets to happen. We get to, we get to lay our burdens down and let God take them. 
specifically said, in, in, in each of these cases of these people who die by faith, it's, you think about how did they do that? How did they have the faith? They didn't even have Jesus. They didn't even have the Bible. They didn't even have church. They had like, like they don't have, guys, they don't have a fraction of what we have at our disposal now for knowledge, for, for community, for encouragement, for, for reading and, and what we can chew on. They, don't, they didn't have K-love, positive encouraging, you know. They, they had very little, and it's like, how did they do it? They just kept asking the question, what does somebody who do? They were 100% confident that God was with them. And the other thing that they did is they woke up day after day and, and reminded them that their faith made it so that they were not responsible for the outcome of their life. That's the reality. That's what the life of faith is. To come to God is to say, is to really, in a sense, surrender our outcomes to God. And here's, here's what I mean by outcomes. An outcome is whether you get into a, the school that you want to or not. And here's the thing. We, could give, like, we can come to something like that and say, you know, I'm a sophomore in high school. I'm going to work hard because I want to get to that school. And by all means, we should say stuff like that. I'm all for goals, driving towards things. But the reality is, come on, let's be honest. We're not in charge of that outcome. We, we, as, as hard as we can, we can mess up the outcome, but we can't manifest anything to make happen. We're just not that powerful. An outcome is your kids thrive in life. We all want that. That's, not an, that's an outcome we're not in charge of. We, get, we can help them thrive in life, but whether they thrive in life is really their choice. Letting go of the outcomes is really whether, whether you get the promotion or not. Even if you work hard, we all know stories of people who've worked hard and, and you know, the boss's cousin got the promotion, not you. And, and we are, outcomes are not our responsibility. They're God's department. Our responsibility is faithfulness. And that's it. And what these guys and gals did throughout the Bible is they woke up every day and they, you know, they, in some way they said, today I just want to follow and obey you. That was Joseph. Joseph for years had to have the attitude. He's like, these outcomes, I hate them. I want a totally different outcome. And it seems like even if I try hard to, to get the outcome, a different outcome, it, goes, it almost works against me. So today, my choice is to follow and obey. Christian, if you consider yourself a Christian, that is your win. Your win is not to control outcomes. You're just not powerful enough. Your win is just to simply follow and obey King Jesus. Period. And again, when we get this, think, in fact, let's just pause for a second as we've been diving deep. Think of your own life right now. Think of what, what you're hesitant about in this coming week. Put that in your brain right now. You are not responsible for the outcome of what happens with that this week. Your only responsibility is to follow and obey and be faithful. That is the win. That's it. It's that, like, faith in a sense is that simple. 
An outcome could be, you know, whether you are able to retire on time. It's not an outcome that you don't control. Whether or our country is heading in the right direction. That is not in your control. And since it's not in your control, it's not something you need to carry. That's for the sovereign God of the universe to worry about. Whether a, a person likes you or a group of people like you is not up to you. Whether you have a good boss, whether you hit your number, whether you sell at the right time, buy at the right time, all of those things, yes, there's stewardship, there's faithfulness, you know what I'm saying, but the actual outcome, come on, can we tell what the market's going to do? I, ta- I typed this into ChatGPT the other day. I was like, hey, ChatGPT, do you think that AI will basically like take over the stock? Like, will AI be able to tell what the stock market's gonna do and just people get rich that way? And, and you know what the answer was? No. There's too many variables and humans are crazy. That was basically what, what, what and that's the thing. That's a key word here. Like, like come, on, come on, come on, come on. As much as you think you're in control, as much as you'd like to think you're in control, can we just say there's too many variables? There's too much going on. There's too many things outside of your and I con- control, but what is in our control is our faithfulness. That's it whether tomorrow you will wake up and you will follow and obey King Jesus. That's the question. And then you, you submit that to God and, and see what happens. Let him tell the outcome and the story. That's it. Your first 20 years of life, you know what that looks like? It means wise choices. For us in a middle age, like it, it means we just need to, sometimes we just need to stay the course. You know, and, and, and later in life, I think for what that means is we need to sum, just submit. All right, Lord, I'm hitting enter and I'm, I'm, I'm submitting the application of my life. Do with it what you will and I will live. And, and here's, here's what, when we get this right. Peace. Peace. Confidence follows. Because because when, when things are, I don't know about you, but when things are too crazy, confusing, variables, moving parts, I freeze. And I'm, I have no confidence. I'm like, maybe we should know. I don't know. Maybe this, I don't know. But when it's like, okay, when I'm facing all these things, I don't have to worry about the outcomes of it. I just, what does faithfulness look like here? What does faithfulness look like here? And what does obedience look like here? And then, good night. I'm going to take, I'm going to get a good night's sleep because you're the God of outcomes. Outcomes are not my responsibility. Peace follows. And here's, here's on the flip side. If we don't get this right, <laughs> we carry the weight of the world on our shoulder. Isn't it true? Every, isn't, have you ever had it happen where you turn on the news and something that's happening in a different part of the world has nothing to do with you? It's not your fault. There's nothing you actually can do for it and it still weighs heavy on you. You're carrying the weight of the world. You're worried about outcomes that you, you, have no, you have no business worrying about. Doesn't mean we shouldn't care. Doesn't mean we should next month support Barefoot Mile and Joy International and you know, fight to end human trafficking and slavery, right? Like we, we go for that hard, but we do it with this, this, this open-handedness of, but the outcomes are not my responsibility. When we get this wrong, our panties get in a bunch. And here's what, when we get, when we get this wrong, 
we, manipul- we try to manipulate situations. Have you ever gotten mad at somebody that you've never met on the other side of the world on a phone? Is it possible that that happened, you're trying to control them because you can't control your kids? Or you can't control your boss at work? There's outcomes in your life that you're not happy with, but you have a little bit of control, and so road rage it is. That's what that is. See, when, when, it's, when, when, when we get this wrong, and we have trust issues with God, our emotions take over. And addiction follows, and, and, and we do things that our family are like, why are you doing that? And you're like, I don't know, but I'm doing it. But what if there's a better way? What if there's a more peaceful solution? Where we don't, our response, the outcomes are not our responsibility, and we trust in the sovereignty of a good God. Here's what I want to do. We're going to play a song here in a second. We've got some handouts for you. If we could hand those out, that'd be great. Um, oh, you already have them. Two questions in closing that I want you to interact. I thought about just giving these to you, but I was like, no, I want, not only do I want to give it to you, I want to give you some time to, to really chew on them. Because I, I just... I've done my job today. If tomorrow you wake up and you, the first thing on your mind is like, all right, Lord, my, my goal today is to serve and to follow you, King Jesus. If that happens tomorrow, that, that would be awesome. And I think this is the best path to it. I want you to interact with these two questions. What's the win right now for you? You could, you could even say, what's the gap in your life right now that if it was different, you feel like you would be happy? That'll tell you a lot about what outcome you're longing for in your life. And I put next to that, what's the win right now, really? Because this takes some real honesty, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, this, this requires us to be honest with ourselves. I, you know, the win right now would be to hit my number at work. Why do I want, and then you're like, really? But really, why do you want to hit my number at work? Oh, I want to, I want to provide for my family. Yes, but is there anything more? Well, I, I, I want to also feel good about myself. Or I also, I, I'd like to show some people that doubted me that, the, that I really have what it takes. So we start asking why. You start asking really and you start to get underneath what you really want and what, whether or not that will really take you to where you want to go. And then the second question is, what would it look like? What is the second question? Somebody read it, please. Yeah, what, what does it look like for you right now to follow and obey King Jesus? What would change? What would be different? And what peace might it usher into your life? Let's take some time in that song and then we'll have another song uh, and we'll stand and sing that song. But this first song, just listen to it and interact with these questions.
So 